ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد تريذن باب تفسير التوحيد وشهادة أن لا إله إلا الله باب تفسير التوحيد وشهادة أن لا إله إلا الله وقول الله تعالى أولئك الذين يدعون يبتغون إلى ربهم الوسيلة أيهم أقرب الآية وقوله تعالى وإذ قال إبراهيم لأبيه وقومه إنني براء مما تعبدون إلا الذي فطرني الآية وقوله تعالى اتخذوا أحبارهم ورهبانهم أربابا من دون الله الآية وقوله ومن الناس من يتخذ من دون الله أندادا يحبونهم كحب الله الآية في الصحيح عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه قال من قال لا إله إلا الله وكفر بما يعبد من دون الله حرم, حرم ماله ودمه وحسابه على الله وشرح هذه الترجمة ما بعدها من الأبواب So today then the chapter heading is Bab Tafsir Tawheed wa Shahadati an la ilaha illallah the chapter that explains and clarifies Tawheed and the testimony of La ilaha illallah that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. As Shaykh Al Fawzan says here, Munasabatu Hadha al Bab Lima Ablahu Zahira. The connection between this chapter and the one that came before it is clear. لِأَنَّ الْبَابَ الَّذِي قَبْلَهُ بَابُ الدُّعَاءِ إِلَى شَهَادَةِ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Because the chapter that came before, you remember that was the chapter regarding giving da'wah. And calling to La ilaha illallah. And we had in that chapter the hadith that we finished off on regarding Khaybar and Ali radiallahu He says that chapter to this chapter, the connection between them is clear. وَهَذَا الْبَابِ فِي تَفْسِيرِ هَذِهِ الْكَلِمَةِ وَبَيَانِ مَعْنَاهَا لِأَنَّ الَّذِي يَدْعُوا إِلَى شَيْءٍ يَطْلُبُ وَيَطْلُبُ مِنَ النَّاسِ أَنْ يَفْعَلُوهُ فَلَا بُدَّ أَنْ يُبَيِّنَهُ لَهُمْ وَيُوَضِّحَهُ لَهُمْ تَوْضِيحًا تَامًّا وَلَا يَكْتَفِي بِمُجَرَّدْ أَنْ يَقُولَ لِلنَّاسِ قُولُوا لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ أَوْ يَقُولُوا لِلنَّاسِ أُدْخُلُوا فِي الْإِسْلَامِ لا بد أن يبين لهم معنى لا إله إلا الله وأن يبين لهم معنى الإسلام الذي يدعوهم إليه 
ولا بد مع ذلك أن يبين لهم ما يناقض الإسلام وما يناقض لا إله إلا الله من أنواع الردة وأنواع الشرك حتى تكون دعوته مثمرة وحتى يستفيد الناس من دعوته أما أن يدعوهم إلى شيء مجمل فهذا لا يكفي The Sheikh says in summary the connection between the previous chapter and this one is clear because the previous chapter was about giving da'wah and calling to la ilaha illallah but when you give da'wah and you call to la ilaha illallah you call to tawheed you cannot just call the people in a general fashion you can't just say to them you need to be upon tawheed you need to be upon monotheism but if they ask you well can you break it down and explain in a bit more detail what this tawheed is you need to have the answer you need to be able to clarify and break it down what the reality of tawheed is what the reality of what you are calling them to is so the previous chapter highlighted the importance of calling to tawheed this chapter now builds on that and gives you a more detailed explanation of what that tawheed is that you are going to call to hence the title of the chapter is the tafsir of tawheed tafsir in arabic meaning ta'wil explanation clarification bringing light to something that was otherwise dark and not understood so this chapter is going to give some evidences that will make you understand the reality of tawheed better and the shaykh says in the introduction yet وَكَثِيرٌ مِنَ الَّذِينَ يَتَسَمَّوْنَ بِالدَّعْوَةِ فِي هَذِهِ الْأَيَّامِ مِنَ الْجَمَاعَاتِ أَوْ الْأَفْرَادِ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يَعْرِفُونَ مَعْنَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ عَلَى الْحَقِيقَةِ وَلَا يَعْرِفُونَ مَعْنَ الْإِسْلَامِ عَلَى الْحَقِيقَةِ وَلَا يَعْرِفُونَ نَوَاقِضَ الْإِسْلَامِ وَنَوَاقِضَ الشَّهَادَتَيْنِ وَإِنَّمَا يَدْعُونَ إِلَى شَيْءٍ مُجْمَلٍ He says many of the people these days from the various groups or individuals out there many of them do not know the reality of la ilaha illallah they don't know the real deep meaning and understanding of the testimony la ilaha illallah and they don't know in reality what islam is the details and the breakdown of affairs and they don't know what the nullifiers of islam are or what the nullifiers of the tawheed of the shahada are rather they generally give da'wah to a general call they call to tawheed in a general fashion but if you were to discuss with them details they would not know and that is exactly what we mention so often 
all of these YouTube sheikhs, and they say, we're calling to Tawheed, we're upon the Sunnah. But if you were to discuss with them the details of affairs, they would not have any knowledge of the details of the affairs. Because they've never studied any of these matters. They've never studied any of these books. They've never gone through these evidences. They call to Tawheed. They call to Sunnah in a general fashion. But as for any real understanding and knowledge and detail, then they don't have it. And that is what the Shaykh says. Many of the people who call and give da'wah in this way, they are only calling in a general fashion and they don't have the details and the breakdown of the affairs. وَرُبَّمَا أَنَّ بَعْضَهُمْ يَفْهَمْ هَذَا وَلَكِنْ لَا يُحِبْ أَنْ يُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ هَذِهِ الْأَشْيَاءِ لِأَنَّهُمْ بِزَعْمِهِ يَنْفُرُونَ مِنْهِ وَهُوَ يُرِيدُ أَنْ يُجَمِّعَ النَّاسِ Some people, even worse maybe, are the ones who do understand that you need to have a detailed knowledge of Tawheed and you need to call the people to a detailed understanding of Tawheed. They know that some of them. But on purpose they don't do it. Because they claim, and again you'll see exactly now how many people come to mind. They claim that if you start explaining to people the details of Tawheed, it will end up splitting the people up. And people will separate away and they'll break away because they don't agree with your details of Aqeedah and Tawheed that you're teaching them. So on purpose they keep their da'wah loose and general and open. So that they aren't saying anything that's going to upset somebody on a slightly different aqidah. They aren't going to upset someone over there who has a different approach to names and attributes. They aren't going to upset other people who have a different understanding, a misguided understanding on issues of shafa'ah and intercession. They don't want to get into the details of tawheed because they fear if they do, then much of their audience or parts of their audience will then turn their backs away from them. And they don't want that. They want to gather the people and increase their numbers. But the Shaykh says here, you read and you nas, those types of people, they want to gather everyone. But you what are they going to gather all of the people upon? If he is afraid to go into the details of Tawheed, then what is he uniting and gathering the people upon? If he is not even clarifying to them the reality of Aqeedah, the reality of Tawheed. And this is one of the most blatant examples you can think of, is... Al-Maghrib Institute and Yasir Qadi because they say exactly this. They do and they say exactly this. They don't want to go into the details of Aqeedah because they don't want the Asha'ira 
proportion of their audience to disappear. They don't want to go into the details of Iman or the details of Asma or Sifat or whatever it might be because they don't want the Mu'tazili proportion or the Ash'ari proportion or this proportion, that proportion from the misguided views. They don't want to lose all of those people. So they keep their call a general, loose type of broad and open call to keep everybody together, not to go into something that will alienate anyone from that discussion. And they say this blatantly with no shame. I once came across a tablighi, an individual who was upon that type of methodology, and he, I remember reading this now, it comes to my mind 20 years ago here in Manchester. He said, when we give da'wah, and we talk about la ilaha illallah and tawheed, yes, we tell people la ilaha illallah. So then, when I asked him, but the details, la ilaha illallah, how do we understand then the details of al-rububiyya, al-uluhiyya, al-asma'u wa-sifat, can you explain the details of this tawheed that you claim you call to? And he said with explicit words, but then people are going to start disagreeing. But then if we do that, and we start talking about explicit details of tawheed, of aqidah, of where is Allah and other affairs, then people are going to disagree on those things. So we need to keep it loose and general. And that's why the scholars, they say, many people out there who give da'wah, they give da'wah to the common ground, which is the minimum ground. What is the minimum common ground that everybody will be happy with? Whether it's the Sufi master, Khariji, this one, that one, the common ground that everybody is happy with and they agree to, La ilaha illallah. We all say la ilaha illallah. We all say Muhammadur Rasulullah. The generalities. Anybody gonna disagree with that? No matter what they are upon and what their beliefs are. You say la ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. Doesn't matter where you go, who you are. So the general people, the, 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 these types of people who give this general da'wah, they stick to the bottom layer. That minimum quantity that will keep everyone together. La ilaha illallah tawheed. We don't prostrate to idols. Keep it to the lowest possible level. Because if you start going into higher levels, and you start talking about the impermissibility of shafa'a with the dead, and other forms of the areas of tawheed, then people start getting upset. So the shaykh says, many of them out there, that's what they do. They don't go into detail, they want to gather the numbers and the people upon general speech and broad da'wah without clarifying the realities of tawheed to them. عَلَى جَهَالَ يُجَمِّعُهُمْ عَلَى ضَلَالَةِ لَا بُدَّ أَن تُبَيِّنَ مَا تَدْعُوا إِلَيْهِ وَتُوَضِّحْ مَا تَدْعُوا إِلَيْهِ So the shaykh says, what are they gathering the people upon in that case? Upon ignorance? Upon misguidance, you have no choice. You have to give that da'wah with clarity, explain the realities of tawheed, and make that apparent to them. 
And then he mentions, we've already come across some of these evidences talking about Tawheed and talking about calling to it. أُدْعُهُمْ إِلَى الْإِسْلَامِ وَأَخْبِرْهُمْ بِمَا يَجِبُ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنْ حَقِّ اللَّهِ Call them to Islam and inform them of what is obligatory upon them from the rights of Allah. And then this narration we came across recently of Mu'adh ibn Jabal, إِنَّكَ تَأْتِي قَوْمًا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ You're going to come across a people of the book. أُدْعُهُمْ إِلَى شَهَادَةِ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Call them to the Tawheed, to the testimony of La ilaha illallah. So then, what are the evidences mentioned here? In this first ayah, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ يَبْتَغُونَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهِمُ أَيُّهُمْ This particular ayah is a very important one because many of the people of misguidance use this ayah for themselves too. Many of the people of misguidance use this ayah thinking that it is a proof for you to call upon the dead and call upon those in their graves. They think this ayah is their proof. Because the ayah says, those whom they call upon, they are seeking a wasila who is closer to Allah. And they fear, or they hope for His mercy, and they fear His punishment. The ayah says that they are looking for a wasila. Those whom they call upon are looking for a wasila to Allah. They say, there you go. The Qur'an affirms looking for a wasila to Allah. Those whom they call upon, they are seeking a wasila to Allah. The people of misguidance, they say, that wasila, otherwise that intermediary, that intercession is being affirmed in the Qur'an, that they are seeking a wasila to Allah, they are seeking an intermediary to Allah, they are seeking intercession to Allah. And so they think this ayah can be used as a proof that you can call upon the dead and call upon them in their graves because you are seeking a wasila to Allah as the ayah affirms. Does the ayah affirm that they are seeking a wasila to Allah or not? It does. The ayah says, يَبْتَغُونَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهِمُ الْوَسِيلَةِ They are seeking a wasila to their Lord. Affirms that they are seeking a wasila to their Lord. So they say, there you go. That's all we are doing. We are seeking an intermediary, an intercession, a wasila to Allah. Just like the ayah says. So then you have to clarify to them. What is this wasila that they are seeking? And who are they? Because the ayah says, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ 
those who they are calling upon, they are seeking a wasila to Allah. Who are the they? The Christians? Those who are being called upon, not the ones calling upon. But who are they? So there are different explanations the scholars have given in the tafsir of this ayah. Some of them say the sabab nuzul the sabab the the reason why this ayah was revealed. Some of them say it is about the story of the jinn again. In fact, we didn't come across the story of the jinn yet. We're going to come across it. There used to be some men and they used to call upon some jinn. Then it is mentioned that those jinn ended up becoming Muslim. But there were these mushrikun still calling upon them. But those jinn obviously now don't want them to be calling upon them. They've become Muslim. They understand Tawheed. So they, the jinn themselves, were looking for a wasila to Allah. Whereas those men thought these jinn were the wasila for them to Allah. But the jinn had become Muslims now. They didn't want anyone calling upon them. They themselves were calling upon Allah, seeking closeness to Allah. That is one explanation given. Another explanation given is regarding Isa alayhi salam, that they were calling upon Isa alayhi salam as they do, claiming he is one of the Trinity, he is the Son of God, and all of those things. So they call upon him. Yet he, Isa alayhi salam, a servant and messenger of Allah, himself, for himself is calling upon Allah and seeking closeness to Allah. And so all scenarios, all situations where they are calling upon others who themselves are calling upon Allah, for themselves, then this is applicable in that scenario. It can be applicable to the angels, that they call upon the angels, yet the angels, they fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are calling upon Isa alayhi salam, yet he fears Allah and is seeking closeness for himself to Allah. They are calling upon those jinn, but they became Muslim and they themselves are calling upon Allah, seeking wasila for themselves to Allah. That is, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ يَبْتَهُونَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهِمُ الْوَسِيلَ Those whom they are calling upon, them themselves are seeking closeness to Allah. Them themselves, those jinn who became Muslims, Isa alayhi salam, the angels, they are seeking a wasila for themselves to Allah. Because they themselves recognize they are servants of Allah. They themselves recognize their need before Allah. And so they are seeking a means of closeness to Allah for themselves. But then we get on to this word, al-wasila. 
what is the wasila that they are seeking? And this is where their misguidance, those who are misguided, and use this ayah where their misguidance comes in. Because of their misunderstanding of the word al-wasila in this ayah. And remember the general principles. One of the main reasons the people of innovation go astray and they misunderstand evidences, one of the main reasons is because they isolate evidences. They find one ayah which says something, they take that ayah independently in isolation, work out a meaning for it, which by itself, when you read it, you think the explanation can work. But when you put it into the context of the other evidences and ayat and the Qur'an, the hadith, all of it together then clarifies. That's why they say the sunnah clarifies itself. One part of the sunnah clarifies another part of the sunnah. But if you don't do that, you take something in isolation by itself, then you won't understand that point or that principle or that ayah because you're not understanding the whole issue surrounding that particular evidence. So this is what they did. They took this ayah. The ayah says they are seeking a wasila. They said, there you go. You can seek wasila. We're going to call upon the dead. The reality is with all of the religion in understanding it together, the wasila here, even in the ayah itself, it says they are seeking a wasila. Ayyuhum Aqrab. Which of them can be closer to Allah? They are wanting to be closer to Allah. Yarjuna rahmatahu. They hope for His mercy. And they fear His punishment. Indeed, the punishment of your Lord is something to be warned from. This wasila that they are seeking is an, a wasila via ibadah, via ta'ah. You seek a wasila, an intermediary, something to bring you closer to Allah. We've been told in the Qur'an and the Sunnah how to do that. What is your wasila to Allah? Through ibadah, through worship, through obedience to Allah. All of those actions, they are a means of you becoming closer to Allah. Actions of obedience and worship, they are the wasila for a person to gain closeness to Allah. Not calling upon the dead or others besides Allah. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan mentions, ثُمَّ بَيَّنَا سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى أَنَّ هَؤُلَاءِ الَّذِينَ تَدْعُونَهُمْ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ أَنَّهُمْ عِبَادُ اللَّهِ هُمْ بِأَنفُسِهِمْ يَدْعُونَ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ يَرْجُونَ رَحْمَتَهُ وَيَخَافُونَ عَذَابَهُ فَالْمَلَائِكَةُ وَعِيسَى عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامُ وَأُمُّهُ وَعُزَيْرُ وَكُلُّ الصَّالِحِينَ وَالْأَوْلِيَاءُ بِهَذِهِ الْمَثَابَةِ كُلُّهُمْ يَبْتَغُونَ إِلَى رَبِّهِمُ الْوَصِيلَةِ 
that those whom you are calling upon, they are the servants of Allah themselves, and they are calling upon Allah for themselves, and they are hoping for the mercy of Allah for themselves, and they fear the punishment of Allah upon themselves. So the angels and Isa alayhi salam and his mother and Uzair and all of the righteous and the awliya are upon the same standing when it comes to this. All of them, they fear Allah and they hope for the mercy of Allah and they are seeking to gain closeness to Allah. وَالْوَسِيلَةِ مَعْنَاهَا فِي الْأَصْلِ السَّبَبُ الَّذِي يُوَصِّلُ إِلَى الْمَقْسُودِ فَالسَّبَبُ الَّذِي يُوَصِّلُ إِلَى الْمَقْسُودِ يُسَمَّى وَسِيلَةِ وَسِيلَةِ In terms of understanding what that word means, the wasilah is a means to get you to your objective. A wasilah is a means that brings you to your objective, to your target, to your goal. So if you now have a goal of wanting to gain closeness to Allah, that's the objective, that's the goal. What is going to be the wasila to get you there? How do you get close to Allah? Obedience and worship and ibadah. Fearing Allah, fulfilling the obligation, staying away from the haram. All of those are going to be a wasila for you. Because a wasila is a means to get to that goal. Your goal is to gain closeness to Allah. The wasila to do that clearly is through obedience and worship. So in the ayah, when it talks about all of them looking for a wasila, then that is the meaning of ibadah, worship and ibadah, ta'ah, obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to gain closeness to Him. كُلُّهُمْ يَتَقَرَّبُونَ إِلَى اللَّهِ بِالطَّاعَةِ يَعْبُدُونَ اللَّهِ يَعْبُدُونَ اللَّهَ لِأَجْلِ أَيِّ شَيْءٍ أَيُّهُمْ أَقْرَبُ So they all worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because all of them want to be close to Allah. فَكُلُّ وَاحِدٍ يَرْجُوا أَنْ يَكُونَ أَقْرَبَ إِلَى اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَ Every one of them hopes to be closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. يَتَقَرَّبُونَ إِلَيْهِ بِطَاعَتِهِ And they seek closeness to Allah through obedience and worship. يَرْجُونَ رَحْمَتَهُ وَيَخَافُونَ عَذَابَهُ فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُمْ عِبَادٌ فُقَرَىٰ إِلَى اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلُ This therefore indicates that all of them, whether they call upon the angels or Isa alayhi salam or anyone, all of them are servants of Allah in poverty and in need of their Lord. لَا يَسْتَطِيعُونَ أَنْ يَجْلِبُوا لِأَنفُسِهِمُ النَّفَعِ وَلَا يَسْتَطِيعُونَ أَنْ يَدْفَعُوا عَنْهَا ضَرَرِ فَكَيْفَ يَمْلِكُونَ ذَلِكَ لَكُمْ يَا مَنْ تَعْبُدُونَهُمْ They themselves do not control being able to bring good to themselves. 
neither are they in control of removing harm from themselves from themselves so who or how are you calling upon them how are you calling upon them and they themselves do not have control over goodness to themselves or removing harm from themselves فَالْوَسِيلَةُ هُنَا مَعْنَاهَا الطَّاعَةِ The meaning of الْوَسِيلَةُ in the ayah is therefore الطَّاعَةِ Obedience That they seek closeness to Allah through obedience Not that you make up an explanation That wasila is seeking closeness to Allah by making dua to somebody dead in their graves That wasila is seeking closeness to Allah by sacrificing for someone dead in their graves, those explanations are not found anywhere in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And every evidence it is put into the context together with the rest of the religion, not in isolation. And together with the religion, we understand clearly that seeking closeness comes through worship and obedience. In the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, أَقْرَبُ مَا يَكُونُ الْعَبْدُ مِنْ رَبِّهِ وَهُوَ سَاجِدٌ The closest a servant is to his Lord is when you are in prostration because you are doing a great act of worship. As a Shaykh Al-Uthaymeen mentioned, when you are in prostration, you are closer to your Lord, even though you are down on the ground, compared to someone standing up. Someone standing up, calling upon Allah, you down on the ground, so you're further away, down on the ground. You calling upon Allah, you are closer than the one standing up. Because you are in an act of great worship. And the Shaykh mentioned, the Shaykh al-Thaymeen, he said that particular act of worship, of prostration, you take the most honorable part of your body, the most honor in your body is in your face. The most honorable part of your body is your face. If somebody came and spat on your foot, you maybe get angry, you maybe get upset, but it probably wouldn't come to blows, you can get separated. But if somebody came and spat on your face, everybody knows it's a different situation. Your face has the honor. As Shaykh al said, you take the most honorable part of your body, and you put it down into the place where people's feet tread upon. And that indicates the great level of humility that a servant shows in that act of worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so when that servant is in that position of prostration and makes dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that indicates indicates his closeness to Allah. So أَقْرَبُ مَا يَكُونُ الْعَبْدُ مِنْ رَبِّهِ وَهُوَ سَاجِدٌ The closest a person is to his Lord is when he is in prostration. 
So al-wasila here it indicates that obedience to Allah. أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ يَبْتَغُونَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهِمُ الْوَسِيلَةِ أَيُّهُمْ أَقْرَبُ Those whom they call upon, they are seeking a wasilah, i.e. through worship and obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala themselves. فَهَذِهِ نَعْمْ فَهَذَا شِرْكُ الْأَوَّلِينَ وَشِرْكُ أَهْلِ هَذَا الزَّمَانِ بِاتِّخَاذِ الْوَسَائِطِ وَالشُّفَعَاءِ مِنَ الْأَمْوَاتِ وَالْغَائِبِينَ بَيْنَهُمْ وَبَيْنَ اللَّهِ But the people, they have fallen into this great misguidance, whereby they believe that the wasilah, the means or the intermediary, it is to call upon the dead, it is to call upon others who are going to intercede for you on your behalf to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in conclusion, al-wasilatu fil-Qur'ani wa-sunnah, the wasila in the Qur'an and the sunnah, its meaning is at-ta'atu wal-ibadah, obedience and worship. Laysat ittikhadu al-ashkhasi wasa'it. It is not the meaning of taking others as intermediaries between yourself and Allah. Because like we said, when you examine all of the religion in context, you realize that firstly and obviously, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not need for you to have an intermediary for your dua to be taken to Him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hears the dua of everyone, answers the dua of everyone. There is no requirement for you to have to go through someone for your dua to be taken to Allah. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan gives the example here, as Shaykh Al-Athameen in his books also, he says when somebody is in a high up position, like a president of a country, or the king of a country, Average person on the street, you can't just go and walk into the palace and say, I need to go and speak to the king, or I need to go and speak to the president or the prime minister of that country. You're not going to get access like that. You have to go through people. You'll have to go through this secretary and that secretary and this office and that department and write your uh, uh, issue down on paper, do all of these steps and maybe... Maybe in months from now, you might get selected, you can have some time with the Prime Minister. He'll see you for two minutes, maybe. The Shaykh said that is a sign of weakness in creation. Not from you wanting to see the Prime Minister, from the Prime Minister himself, or the King or the President himself. Because he does not have the actual capability. Imagine there was a King who said, I will see all of my subjects. I'm not going to be like these others, a hundred receptionists and this and that. I'll see everybody who wants to see me. Can he physically do that? Impossible. You have 10 million people in your country, 20 million people in your country. How are you going to physically see to everybody's needs yourself? Impossible. Impossible. Hence, kings and presidents and prime ministers, they have... Thus, the uh, deputies in all of the regions, 
They have the local councils, as you call it here. They have the, the na'ib, the, the, the deputies in their various regions of the country who look after the affairs there. Those deputies will have deputies in smaller areas of that region because the one person in charge, it is impossible for him to be able to see to everyone individually. That is creation. But the creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then no such deficiency is attributed to Allah. Allah can answer, can hear and answer the dua of every single person without any need for a secretary to go and make the notes and let us know who's there, who's not. Without a department for this or a department for that, no need for anything. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hears and answers the du'as of everyone. So no intermediary is required. It could even be considered as you indicating a shortcoming that Allah won't answer your du'a, Allah won't uh, uh, accept your du'a unless you go via this person or that person. It's as though you are attributing a deficiency or a shortcoming to Allah. That Allah won't answer your dua unless you go via these people and those people. Instead, Allah told us to call upon Him directly. وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّعِي إِذَا دَعَانِ And if my servants ask you about me, then tell them I am close. And I answer the dua of the one who calls upon me. In the famous hadith, لو أن أولكم وآخركم وإنسكم وجنكم قاموا على صعيد واحد If all of you, from the first to the last, of the humans and the jinn, from the very first one to the very last one, we're talking numbers of what? Not just hundreds, not just thousands, not just millions, not even billions more. Billions, 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 whatever the figures are going to be. From the first of you to the last of you, from the jinn and the humans, if all of you were stood upon one plane of land, then you made dua, وَسَأَلَنِي كُلُّ وَاحِدٍ عَنْ مَسْأَلَتِهِ Every single one was to ask Allah for his affair. Then in the hadith it mentions, Allah could give every single one what they ask for. And it would not It would not decrease anything from the kingdom of Allah. Example is given in the hadith that the decrease is like a needle when you dip it into an ocean, an ocean of water. You get a needle and you dip it in. How much water drops off that needle? How much? How long do you have to keep doing that to finish the ocean? You'll be dead, and your grandchildren, 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 never. Impossible. So this point is to indicate that if Allah answered every single person, and Allah can answer every single person, it would not decrease from His dominion. The point here being that Allah answers the dua of the one who calls upon Him. In the last third of the night hadith, which is mutawatir, yanzilu rabbuna ila sama'id dunya, idha baqiya thuluthu layl al-akhir. When the last third of the night remains, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends to the lowest heaven and says, man yas'aluni fa'atih. Who is asking me and I will give it to him? Man yastaghfiruni fa'aghfira lah. 
Who is seeking my forgiveness and I will forgive them? There is no such thing as intermediary call upon me via the dead or via this one or via that one. Rather, you raise your hands and you call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is the first ayah that Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah ta'ala mentions here. Uh, and we've mentioned this other point before as well, the statement of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah about the wasila, where Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he said, there are two types of wasila. One of them you must reject. If you don't, it is kufr. The other one you must accept. If you don't accept it, it will be What's the type that you must reject? That is via other people calling upon the dead, calling upon the dead, taking intermediaries between yourself and Allah. All of those forms that the people do, that is shirk, impermissible. You cannot believe in that. Kufar to believe in that wasila. What is the other one that Shaykh al-Islam said? You must believe in this other type of wasila. If you don't, it will be kufr. Obedience and worship, of course, no doubt, as we said, your obedience and worship, that is your wasila to Allah. He also meant another thing as well, which was the prophets and messengers. The prophets and messengers, they are a wasila. How are they a wasila? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not reveal the revelation to us all individually. Jibreel alayhi salam did not come to every human, every jinn individually to tell them the Quran, to tell them the hadith and the sunnah. Rather, how did we get that revelation? Via the Prophet, the, the angel Jibreel was sent to chosen prophets and messengers. They were given all that revelation. They then conveyed it to the people. So they are a wasila for that revelation coming to us. Shaykh al-Islam said you cannot reject that. If you reject that, meaning if you reject the prophets and messengers, that's kufr. That's what he meant there. Again, some people may twist those kinds of words as they do of Shaykh al-Islam saying, look, Shaykh al-Islam said there's a wasila. There is a type of wasila you have to believe in. And then they may not quote anything else or explain anything else. Then that's the explanation of it. Then the second ayah, we'll just mention the second one. وَقَوْلُهُ وَإِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ لِأَبِيهِ وَقَوْمِهِ إِنَّنِي بَرَاءٌ مِّمَّا تَعْبُدُونَ this ayah when Ibrahim السلام, says to his father and to his people that I am innocent of what you worship. Except, meaning I only worship the one who created me and he will guide me. This particular ayah regarding Ibrahim salam and his da'wah to his people, the story of Ibrahim salam and his da'wah to his people is mentioned in multiple places in the Qur'an. 
and the order to follow Ibrahim salam and the praise upon Ibrahim salam and that he is Abu Al-Anbiya, the father of the prophets. Why is Ibrahim salam the father of the prophets? Because the prophets and messengers, when you check, all of it goes through eventually Ibrahim salam. So they mentioned that the prophets and messengers, they all came through the lineage of Ibrahim salam. Hence he is Abu Al-Anbiya in that respect. In the ayah it says here that Ibrahim salam, he said to his father and his people. So he began with his father, began with his own relatives, his own father, his own family, the da'wah, and then expanded out to the people also. Uh, and his people, they were at the time people who worshipped the stars and the planetary bodies. They worshipped the stars and various planetary bodies. وَهُمُ الصَّابِئَةِ الْمُشْرِكُونَ الَّذِينَ كَانُوا يَعْبُدُونَ الْكَوَاكِبِ and so they were the people who used to worship the stars and the planets and other things in the sky. And their leader, An numrud it is mentioned the story in the Qur'an about the debate that occurred there as well. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِي حَاجَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ فِي رَبِّهِ Have you not seen the one who debated Ibrahim regarding his Lord? أَنْ آتَاهُ اللَّهُ الْمُلْكِ that Allah had given Nimrud a kingdom. Allah had given Nimrud, the leader, a great kingdom. And instead of Nimrud being grateful to Allah, instead of being grateful to Allah, he became arrogant in this way and debated with Ibrahim salam regarding his Lord. And so Ibrahim salam it mentions in the ayat, إِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ رَبِّيَ الَّذِي يُحْيِي وَيُمِيتِ When Ibrahim salam says to him, My Lord is the one who gives life and death. قَالَ أَنَا أُحْيِي وَأُمِيتِ He said, I can give life and death. And they mention a story of how he brought a man, he brought in a man and killed him. Brought in another man, he said, you're free. He said, there you go, I give life and I give death. Brought two people in, he was the king in charge, brought two slaves in, two people in, killed one of them, let one of them live. He said, there you go, I give life and death also. So when he was saying, I give life and I give death, he meant that I can do what I want. Whoever I want to kill, then I kill them and give them death. Whoever I want to leave, I let them live. So it's like I'm giving life and death also, he claimed. فَأَرَادَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ وَنْ يَأْتِيَ بِأَمْرٍ لَا يُمْكِنُهُ وَنْ يُغَالَطْ So then Ibrahim salam debated him in a manner that he could not be, uh, no kind of response could be given to it. And that was when Ibrahim then said to him, قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْتِي بِالشَّمْسِ مِنَ الْمَشْرِقِ فَأَتِي بِهَا مِنَ الْمَغْرِبِ That Allah... Subhanahu wa ta'ala comes with the sun from the east. It rises up from the east. So you then, if you claim to be God, you claim to be Rabb, 
You do it then and you bring it from the west and show us. And clearly that is impossible. He was not able of course. So there are many ayat and many stories in the Quran regarding Ibrahim salam and the da'wah that he gave to his people. So he tells them here, Ibrahim tells his father and his people, I am innocent of what you worship. I am innocent. Bari. I am innocent. I have nothing to do with what you worship. I am free and cut off. No connection to what you are worshipping. And then he tells them though, that the only one I worship, the only one that I worship, is الَّذِي fatarani, The one who created me. Notice that Ibrahim salam didn't just say to them, that I am innocent of what you worship, I only worship Allah. Rather, Ibrahim salam phrased it differently. He said, I am innocent of what you worship. Rather, I only worship the one who created me. Why use that phrase? Why not just say, I'm innocent of what you worship. I worship Allah. Why say, I worship the one who created me? More to it than that. He's using to prove He was clarifying the reality more by mentioning the phrase fatarani." I'm innocent of what you worship. I only worship the one who created me. Because within that phrase was a refutation of them directly. Their so-called gods cannot create anything. Their so-called gods did not create them. They have no ability upon creation. So he's refuting them even in the phrase that he uses. I'm innocent of what you worship. I only worship the one who created me. Meaning your so-called gods and deities do not even have any rububiyyah. They cannot create, they cannot control, they cannot do anything. And if they have no rububiyyah, then they are not deserving of any uluhiyyah, worship. So by using that phrase, he was getting to the point with them. I don't worship what you worship, because what you worship cannot create, cannot give life and death, cannot control anything has no rububiyya, no lordship, and is therefore not deserving of any worship. Rather, I only worship alladhi fatarani, the one who created me, the one who has rububiyya, the creation, the control of the universe, giving life and death, sustenance, provisions. I only worship him, because the one with rububiyya, he is the one deserving of al-uluhiyya and worship. So فَطَرَنِي أَيْ خَلَقَنِي إِبْتِدَاءً وَالْأَصْنَامِ لَا تَفْعَلُ ذَلِكَ بِإِقْرَارِهِمْ 
So the idols that they worshipped, they, the mushrikun themselves, used to acknowledge and accept that their idols cannot create anything. And then you know the debate, and he tells them about the axe and ask, ask the big one. And they know, and he knows that the big one cannot hear them, neither can it speak to them. So now how are you worshipping something that cannot hear you, cannot speak to you? These are characteristics of great deficiency. How can it be a God who cannot hear and cannot speak? So he was refuting them and rebuking them in all of those ways. So he tells them here, I am innocent of all of those that you worship, all of that which you worship. I only worship the one who created me. And then in the ayah it mentions, وَجَعَلَهَا كَلِمَةً بَاقِيَةً فِي عَقِبِهِ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجِعُونَ And that it was made a statement, the statement of La ilaha illallah was a statement that was made ongoing in his lineage. In the lineage of Ibrahim alayhi salam, the prophets, the messengers, they all came from the lineage of Ibrahim alayhi salam. So that statement of La ilaha illallah from the time of Ibrahim alayhi salam, that tawheed, the remnants of it, it remained all the way till Muhammad the, the after effects or remnants or whatever was left, it remained. That tawheed, la ilaha illallah, remained up until the time of the Prophet Muhammad So, ja'alaha kalimatan baqiyah. So, فَلَا يَزَالُ فِيهَا مَنْ يَقُولُ هَذِهِ الْكَلِمَةِ وَيَعْمَلُ بِهَا إِلَىٰ أَنْ بُعِثَ مُحَمَّدِ صلى الله عليه وسلم So from the time of Ibrahim alayhi salam to the time of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi somewhere, at some place, there were always people who remained upon La ilaha illallah. بَقِيَتْ فِي عَقِيبِهِ It remained in his lineage وَإِنْ خَالَفَهَا الْأَكْثَرِ Even though, as we know, after, as time went by, and especially closer to the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the majority were upon rejection of it, the majority were upon idol worship, but it remained, it existed. إِلَّا أَنَّهُ يُوجَدُ فِي ذُرِّيَةِ إِبْرَاهِيمِ مَنْ إِلْتَزَمَ بِهَا وَلَوْ كَانُوا قَلِيلِينَ But there were always some, somewhere, who remained upon that La ilaha illallah, even if they were very small in number, up until when the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was sent, فَلَمْ تَخْلُوا الْأَرْضِ مِنَ التَّوْحِيدِ وَلِلَّهِ الْحَمْدِ وَلَا تَخْلُوا إِلَّا عِنْدَ قِيَامِ السَّاعَةِ And so from the time of Ibrahim alayhi salam, up until Muhammad sallallahu alayhi sallam, and now from Muhammad sallallahu alayhi sallam, up until the Day of Judgment, the kalima of Tawheed of La ilaha illallah will remain up until just prior to that time. And that's why it mentions, لا تقوم الساعة وفي الأرض من يقول الله الله لأن الأرض لا تبقى إلا مع التوحيد لأن لا إله إلا الله كلمة قامت بها السماوات والأرض ونصبت من أجلها الموازين وأسست الملة وَفُرِضَ الْجِهَادِ مِنْ أَجْلِ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ فَهَذِهِ الْكَلِمَةِ لَا تَزَالِ لَكِنَ أَحْيَانًا يَكْثُرْ أَنْصَارُهَا وَالْقَائِمُونَ بِهَا 
وأحيانا يقلون إلا أنهم لا ينعدمون إلا عند قيام الساعة So sometimes there may be more people upon the Tawheed and sometimes in history there may be less but they will always remain up until the establishment of the hour and then there will come a time when لا تقوم الساعة وفي الأرض من يقول الله الله there will not be a person they will not even say Allah Allah so Tawheed is now it's all gone that's when the hour is then established because this earth it is maintained upon لا إله إلا الله this earth, the heavens and the earth are maintained and established upon La ilaha illallah. So just before the hour is established, as it is mentioned, the believing, the souls of the believers are taken and there is no one left saying even Allah, Allah, the worst of the people, then the hour is established upon them. That is where we'll conclude on today then. The remaining evidences, there are some left. We'll finish off next time, insha'Allah ta'ala. And then after that, it's going to get on to the individual chapters. These chapters so far, you can think of them as like a big introduction. These chapters so far are like an introduction. Then the chapters that are going to come afterwards, they go into specific topics every week. And the first topic that comes up is the topic of rings and amulets and the taweez as people call it in the Asian languages, the uh, amulets and talismans and wearing strings and necklaces and rings and other things. All of those types of things people wear, even when they claim it has Quran in it, those are the topics we're going to discuss in the next chapter coming up. It is very uh, uh, suitable and appropriate that you should try to bring your friends and relatives and family members for those types of topics. This is something widespread amongst the people wearing uh, uh, necklaces and they say there's there's a Quran inside of it and wearing other bracelets and wearing other strings. There's a lot of discussion over these things, even if it's just Qur'an, even if it is the, the opinion, the correct understanding, is it's still not permissible. So there's a lot of discussion on those things, and it's very important because they are on the boundaries of the lines of Tawheed and Shirk, wearing all these items and amulets and talismans. So that's going to be the next chapter. We'll finish off what we have left first, obviously, next time, and then we'll move into that chapter, insha'Allah ta'ala. Any questions or anything to add up to there then? All of that is your wasila. For Islam is the lowest level. Islam, as they say, the scholars, you can think of it as three circles. Islam is the biggest circle. When you first enter into Islam, you enter into the circle of Islam. Then the more worship you do and the more sins you stay away from and the more you increase in your iman, you get into the smaller circle inside of that big circle, the smaller circle of iman. 
And then the more you improve and the more worship you do and the more haram you leave and the better believer you become and the stronger your iman, you get into an even smaller circle inside of that circle, the circle of ihsan. So all of those are like movements upwards in your iman and your uh, practicing of the religion. All of that is ibadah and seeking closeness to Allah. The muhsinun are at the highest levels. What's the multiverse theory? Some scholars have mentioned it. That when the, uh, uh, the evidences, they indicate there are seven heavens and seven earths. The seven heavens, the seven levels of the heavens, etc. That's mentioned in the years and the 500 years gap between them, etc. That's all there. But the seven earths, there is an opinion. There are opinions. There is an opinion. There is an opinion that there are other earths and there are seven earths like this earth and there are people upon those earths it is an opinion so there is an opinion for what you said i'll stress an opinion there's opinions on those topics some say it's the seven continents some say it's the seven layers of the earth the core the mantle all those things you do in geography there's different opinions about the seven earths but there is one opinion saying there could be other earths seven earths and there are people upon them like we are. According to someone to Islam, what level of knowledge of La ilaha and Mad would it tell them in order for them to accept without and like, trying to not get into too much detail? They have to understand when giving da'wah to a kafir and you're explaining to him tawheed to what level. Obviously, nobody's going to say you have to sit with him for uh, two years and go through every chapter of Kitab al-Tawheed and Wasati and this and that until they can then say, do you want to accept Islam? It's going to have to be at a certain level. And that level is the level where they understand the basics and the principles of Tawheed. One being the obvious, of course, that there is no other deity besides Allah. No son, no uh, partner, no equal. You cannot call upon anyone, no spirit, no nothing. It is absolutely قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ And that is a principle many can understand. The Christians, the Jews, and those kinds of people upon these uh, religions, it can be understood to them. When you explain to them, okay, you understand the concept of God, they already do. Then you explain to them Islam has the concept of monotheism, which you do not have. Because in Islam, it is قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ That you single out your worship, everything purely to one Lord. No such thing as a son, as a partner, as a wife, as a father, nothing. There is nothing else associated. It is purely to one God. When I've heard myself, some of them, they say, okay, I can understand that, yes. Because they can't, you, they can't argue with you that they are upon Tawheed. They can't try to argue, but we say that. You say, but you don't. You cannot say uh, Father and the Son and the Spirit and this and that and all of these multiple things and then claim all of these are one. One means one. So the basic concept of Tawheed is the explanation of La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. If they understand that, there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah, which means you cannot call upon any other deity. You cannot have any partners, equal sons, daughters, spirits, all of those are negated. Every aspect of your worship, every aspect of your obedience 
every part from your trust and hope and dependence and supplication, prayers, it is purely to your Creator alone and that Muhammad is the final messenger, that basic explanation of La ilaha illallah, if a person accepted that and they understood that with some of the basics of Iman, the six pillars of Iman and those things, that is sufficient. If a person properly understood those things, you explain those things to them, and they say, yes, I understand this concept of uh, oneness of uh, God, there's only one God, and uh, I believe in those pillars of Iman, etc. It is sufficient for a person to enter into Islam. There are narrations uh, from the Sahaba, uh, from the Salaf, they used to hear an ayah. Maybe they heard one ayah. From that one ayah, they would reflect and they would realize, and they would come and accept Islam. Some of the mushrikun, it's narrated about how they heard one ayah and they entered into Islam. And some of them may hear one hadith or one narration and they reflect upon that and they understand the reality of that and they enter into Islam. But they must understand that basic amount. You know, sometimes you might be giving da'wah to a person and you're saying to them, okay, so you understand uh, that there's only one God and you can only work, you know, and they're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the reality is afterwards, okay, so can you now tell me then, so what do you understand then? Do you understand about the oneness, you know, can you... What do you, they can't say anything, they don't, they don't really understand. You know, you have to, when giving da'wah to a person, the person has to understand what you're saying to them. I came across a person once, and I was told that this person has understood Tawheed. This person knows, they understand the pillars of Iman, they're ready to take the Shahada. Can you go do it with them? So I went... And uh, when I spoke to the person, and I asked the person, so obviously, you know, I've been told you've already studied and or you've been told about Tawheed and monotheism and Islam, and you understand these kinds of things. Now you understand about X, Y, and Z and this and that. And the answer to everything was, well, yeah, sort of. I mean, they said this to me. And, you know, sometimes you have to explain, and that person has to understand. You have to understand that with them. There's no point in somebody just saying, yes, yes, yes. You say, okay, so what, what have you understood? And they, they can't say anything to you. They don't know what they've understood. So as long as a person does understand Tawheed, he understands it, then you can enter into Islam, that basic understanding of the Shahada. Then you go into all of these other details on top. Everything we're going to be going in these chapters coming up now. Oh. Yeah, because he, he, the mushrikun, even the mushrikun, they used to call upon those deceased and the dead, believing that the deceased and the dead are going to take their dua to Allah and they're going to get closer to Allah. We don't worship them except that they bring us closer to Allah, and yet that was shirk. So a person uh, with that type of thing, it's not a differentiation on that. You're calling upon them, even if you believe you're calling upon them for them to take your dua to Allah, it's an act of shirk, calling upon others besides Allah. Yeah, but we've explained all of that in about 20 sessions of Kashu Shubhat. The Mushrikun did not only call upon idols, they called upon people. They called upon deceased people in their graves, and these ayat were revealed applicable to them. 
That is a, a, it's a, it's an incorrect basis for the discussion in the first place. Somebody comes with that uh, incorrect basis to start the discussion with the mushrikun. We are stating as a fact they only called upon idols. Now, as a fact, we call upon people in their graves. Oliya, Maulana. So now we have to start discussing the differences. You say, no, we're not getting anywhere near that. The very first fact that you're claiming isn't a fact in the first place. The Mushrikun didn't just call upon the idols. They called upon people themselves. A lot upon one of the explanations was a, a, a man, a pious man who used to have a big uh, plate of food and he used to give it to the Hujjaj when they used to come and then he used to help them with their food and he used to give them uh, miswak and these things. And then when he died, people were saddened by his death and they made him into the idolat person, people. So it is an incorrect uh, assumption that they are making in the first place. And we did all of that in Kashi Shubhat recently, now all the evidences. Just regarding the ayah, Ula'ika al-Ladina yad'auna ila'l-Akhir ayah. From what I understood, I just want to double check. There's kind of two misunderstandings that Ahl Bid'ah have. Number one is Wasila and what is Ahl Wasila. Mm. Number two is when they say Yabataruna, they're saying Yabataruna goes back to Yad'una and not to Ula'ik. Is that correct? I.e. that Ula'ik al-Ladina Yad'una, Yabataruna, Yabataruna referring to the ones that are doing the, the calling and mm. not the ones that are being called upon. Whereas the correct opinion is that Yabataruna is referring they to those being called upon. So they, upon that other interpretation, that means they themselves are the ones seeking the wasila exactly. via calling upon exactly. them. Exactly, rather than... But what difference does it make, though, in terms of the end result? No, just that it's another misunderstanding that they have. Okay, as a, as a misunderstanding. Maybe, but I mean, it doesn't make any difference to the conclusion, because if that's what they claim, then it's just a self-refutation anyway. That they say, we are calling upon them, and we are the ones seeking the wasila via calling upon them. But everything we've just said is that it's impermissible and haram for you to be calling upon the dead as a wasila. Yeah. Well, I mean, mm. I think like for them to for them to support their position, if they're saying was, that the wasila can be through people, mm. then they're going to say now that yabitaruna isn't those that we were calling upon are yabitaruna and wasila. Yeah, so that Allah is affirming that they calling upon them yeah. is an act of wasila yeah, on the basis that yeah, the wasila yeah, yeah. is correct. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Possibly yes, that too. So that they, in the ayah they say that when we those whom they are calling upon, that act of theirs is the seeking of the wasila. So as though the Quran is directly affirming calling upon the dead is an act of wasila which you can seek, as though that is what the Quran is affirming. But in both cases, it's uh, refuted and rebuked by the same kinds of explanations. Mm. Anybody else? Oh. Um, you know the jinns, um, Muslim, do they have any obligations like we have obligations? And when they die, did they also enter? We'll get to the jinn section in a chapter. There's a specific chapter that's going to talk about the jinn and uh, obligations. They have exactly the same obligations. The jinn have the same obligations. When you go and do hajj, the jinn are there doing hajj. They do it at the same time. The hajj is done at the same time. It's the same sharia. They do Eid at the same time. There's a narration from one of the Salaf, Sufyan ibn Uyayna or Al-Thawri, one of the two, I think ibn Uyayna. When he was giving a, a lesson, and he was talking about Ahlul Bid'ah in the lesson and the Khawarij. The Khawarij this and the Khawarij that, and he was refuting them. It's, it's in his biography. And at the end of the lesson, a jinn came up to him, who had attended the lesson. A jinni came up to him, 
He said, you know what you were discussing in your class today about the khawarij and how they've become misguided and away from the methodology of Ahlul Sunnah and these other groups of innovation, the, you know, the Mu'tazila Sha'ara, various groups of innovation that started appearing in those days. The jinni said to him, you know, we have exactly the same problem amongst the jinn. Khawarij and this uh, Mubtadi'ah from these types of Aqidah beliefs and those, we have the same problems within the jinn. So in terms of the Sharia, uh, that's why we mentioned Al-Thaqalain, the two uh, creations that are burdened with this responsibility, the humans and the jinn, they have that same uh, 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 obligation upon them. There's that story about a uh, uh, true story. There were some brothers, they went camping in some uh, woods somewhere. One of them got separated from the others. One of them got separated from the others. So he was looking around the wood trying to find where the rest of his group was, where the campsite was. He got lost. He was looking, looking, looking. It got to Maghrib time. The sun setting got to Maghrib time. So he thought, okay, let me pray then. So he started praying. And as he was praying by himself, lost in the woods, he's lost his party. Praying, he gets to Waladhalin. And all of a sudden behind him, Ameen. There's voices. And he knows there's nobody here. He's been lost in the woods for hours looking for his group. He knows nobody. He didn't hear any twigs or anything. Anybody stepping up to him, walking up to him. He says, And it was a group of jinn. Maghrib time. They saw him praying. Let's do jama'ah. And they did jama'ah with him. True story. And they said, Ameen at the back. And uh, because Maghrib time, praying the, the prayers at the same time, the same sharia. But we'll get to that later. There's a section on the jinn coming up, inshallah. Last one. Wet wipes. Wet wipes. For wudu? We don't find water. We go in toilet. Are good to... Oh, for... After the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's possible, yeah. You can do that because the, wet, uh, the water inside is not a lot of. No, it's enough. It's enough. It's enough. Because uh, uh, that amount of water, you know, wudu, the Prophet used to make wudu with how much water? A bowl. Not even a bowl. That's like 10 wudus. <laughs> barely, barely anything. Like not even handfuls, not even more handfuls, less than a handful. A tiny amount the Prophet could make all of the wudu with. So those wet wipes. Uh, the proper wet wipes, you squeeze them, there's water that drips out, proper wet wipes, the, the, the water, 90%, whatever they call them. Those kind of ones, you, you squeeze them, there's actual water coming out of them. So if you were in a desperate situation, you could use those properly squeezed and you are getting water out of them, if it was a desperate situation. Yeah. We'll leave it there for today then. Inshallah Ta'ala will resume next week with that section to finish off and then we'll go on to the thing about the necklaces and everything else.